All right, uh, great to be with you guys. I believe you guys are in a series called Simple Gospel. Um, and Michael invited me to preach on that. And I don't know, I think uh, there's probably never been a, a theme or series that's been more difficult for me to decide what to preach on than Simple Gospel because um, I'm obsessed with the gospel. And uh, we try to preach through books of the Bible and connect every, I believe everything in the Bible connects and points to the gospel. Um, so it really didn't narrow it down for me. It was like, okay, I can just preach anything from Genesis to Revelation and like point it to the gospel. And I, I literally had like even, even up to, up to an hour ago, I was like, I had four different sermons in my mind. I've had one most of the time, but I was like, oh, maybe, well, maybe I should go a different route with this. Um, and I almost thought about just putting like all of them in a basket and just pulling one and, um, and seeing what happened. Because, but then uh, that'd be kind of casting lots. So that's kind of biblical. We could have gone that route. But um, there's been one, one uh, that I think is helpful for simple gospel and it's, I've taught it before. And it's a, what I call kind of like a napkin gospel. Uh, meaning if you were at a restaurant like Applebee's, ah, oh, Applebee's on a day and night, there we go, <laughs> with your Oreo shake, uh, that song, um, so if you were at Applebee's, uh, and you wanted to share the gospel with someone, and maybe you didn't even have your Bible with you, and you know, sometimes you start panicking, can't remember what verses, or like, oh, memorize, this is just a little napkin theology, um, and I'm going to make a little drawing on this whiteboard, and we're going to walk through it together, and it's going to show some different aspects of the gospel. Gospel just means good news. Um, it is this good news, and there are just different aspects. I like to say the gospel is like this um, multifaceted diamond. Where if you churn a beautiful diamond, you'll just see the uh, different prisms of light and shine and sparkle as you churn it. And the gospel is like that. There's, there's one gospel, but that gospel has so many facets. So many facets, so many beautiful truths that come out of this one gospel. Um, that we could literally, the gospel is simple enough that you could explain it to a child. They can grasp it, understand it, believe it, repent, and be transformed by it. But it's complex enough that the greatest minds can be exploring the impact in the depth and the power of the gospel for the rest of your life. The, the impact of the gospel is inexhaustible. And so it is simple, but it is actually incredibly uh, complex as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for the gospel. We thank you so much for the good news that you bring us. I pray if there's anyone here that this is their first time hearing the gospel, that I would, by your grace, explain it well, and they could see that it is something that they could receive and enjoy the fruits of the gospel today. Lord, I pray for those that have received the gospel, that um, you would tonight light all of our hearts anew with a love and a, an appreciation and a deeper understanding of the gospel. 
I pray that we would be men and women that are motivated by the gospel. We're transformed by the gospel. We would get our identity from the gospel. The gospel truly changes everything. It uh, gives us a reason for hope in our hopelessness. It gives us redemption. It gives us newness. We thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go to the whiteboard. So I call this teaching, Unwrapping the Gift of the Gospel. Unwrapping the Gift of the Gospel. And so if you're a note taker, a little bit of napkin theology for you. So say you were at Applebee's and someone wanted to know the gospel, you could draw this picture and begin to walk them through uh, one way to share and understand some of the gospel. Like I said, no, you're not, you'll never understand its complete fullness. <gasps> Starts off, unwrapping the gift of the gospel. We have to start with this idea that the gospel, the good news, the good news that we're going to explain tonight, the good news we're going to walk through tonight, uh, all these different areas of good news. First off, this good news is a gift. So we talk about unwrapping the gift of the gospel. And, and, and it being a gift, I mean, it isn't something that you can earn. It's not something that you can gain merit towards. It's not something you can buy. It is a gift to be received. A gift to be received. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians Chapter 15. Um, this is a wonderful chapter for understanding the gospel. Wonderful chapter. If you are wondering, okay, where is just a chapter in the Bible? Where's somewhere in the Bible where I can get a look at the gospel in some of its simplest form? And also it's just incredible power and reach, go to 1 Corinthians 15. Keep this one in your back pocket. Get to know this chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, man, first off, if you're here and you're like, I already know the gospel. I already believe the gospel. Check. The gospel is junior varsity stuff. Why aren't we doing some varsity Christian stuff? No, 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 no. Listen to Paul. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. We need constant reminding of the gospel. We need constant reminding of the gospel. The gospel isn't just your entry into Christianity. The gospel is the fuel and motivation. It is the nutrient that grows you in Christianity. You never graduate from the gospel. If you've graduated from the gospel, you just graduated from Christianity as well. You've left it. You've left it. And so Paul says, now I would remind you because we all need reminding. He's writing this to the Corinthian church. He's not writing this letter to non-Christians. 
He's actually writing this to those who have professed that they believe the gospel. And he says, now I would remind you. We all need reminding of the gospel. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Which you received. It is a gift. It is a gift to be received. He doesn't say, now I remind you of this good news that you guys worked so hard and you got it. You climbed that mountain and at the top of that mountain was the gospel and you grabbed it and you're like, yes. And you came back down and you got this gospel badge that you had earned. You prayed just enough. You sacrificed just enough. You said no to this sin just enough times to get your gospel. No, 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 no. The gospel is a gift. A gift to be received. And this, the gospel again means good news. This is one of the aspects of the gospel that is good news. You couldn't ever earn it. You couldn't ever deserve it. That's the bad news. The good news, you don't have to because it is a gift. A gift to be opened, a gift to be received, a gift to be explored, a gift to be experienced, a gift to be lived out, a gift to be shared and proclaimed to others. It is a gift of grace. You might be thinking to yourself, okay, well, it's a gift, but certainly there's got to be some level of goodness to gain it, and I might not make that level. Or I know some people, and surely the gospel, surely they're too far gone for the gospel. Listen to what Paul, he's the one who wrote Corinthians. That's a side note. Guy named Paul, um, whole lot of interesting stuff about him, but we're not going to get into it. Listen to him. Verse 9 of this 1 Corinthians 15 chapter. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. He's saying he's an apostle, he's a messenger, he's a preacher of the gospel, a proclaimer of the gospel. But he's saying he proclaims the gospel, not because he like got a bunch of degrees and was like, boom, you've passed, you know, uh... Jerusalem Bible School, now you can be... No, no, no. He's an apostle by the grace of God. He received the gift of the gospel, received forgiveness, received redemption. And you're like, well, how bad could he have been? He had persecuted the church of God. He said, I get to now preach the gospel. Before I was preaching the gospel, I was persecuting those that believe the gospel. And what do I mean by persecution? I don't mean by like teasing them and be like, oh, Christians dress funny. Ha ha ha. No, no, no. Like he oversaw Christians being stoned to death. Like that's violent. Like if anything should kind of X you out of the future God, if, if there was something that should cost you being able to have the gift of the gospel, I would think stoning people that trusted the gospel would be one of those things, right? I think we'd all say that's fair. We'd all be like, yeah, the gift of the gospel is for everyone except those who have stoned others for believing the gospel. All right, all in favor of that, say aye. Everyone just aye, aye, aye. Good, move on. It's good for everyone except those that stone those that believe it and trust it and love Jesus, right? But no! 
Paul says, no, I received the gospel even though I persecuted the church of God. I received it. It was a free gift. It was available by grace even for me, church persecuting Paul. I got to receive it and still be a messenger. Probably, I'm going to say at least 60% of this room has never stoned any other Christians. Right? Like you probably haven't even gone that far. Like at least 75%. It doesn't look like that big of a Christian stoner room. Could have been taken so many ways there. <sighs> and even if you were, this gift would still be freely available to you. Paul said, you're not going to out me. I persecuted the church of God, and yet the gift of the gospel is still available to Paul. Amen? Okay, unwrapping the gift of the gospel. So, got this. It's a gift. The gospel is a gift. You can't earn it or deserve it. Okay, that's good. What the heck is this gift? Let's start to unwrap it. Unwrap gift number one. In square number one, what do we have? This is the crown. So I call this crown, cross, heart, infinity. We start with the crown. That You should be able to remember that. It's a simple thing. Crown, cross, heart, infinity. Um, crown, cross, heart, infinity. Start with the crown. What is the crown? Go with me to the book of Mark. And, and keep, keep a finger in 1 Corinthians 15. Because 1 Corinthians 15, like I said, is just gospel power. Just pow, pow, pow. Hit after hit after gospel hit. So we'll, we'll probably come back there. But Mark chapter 1, verse... 15. Mark 1, 15. This is Jesus. Uh, let's start at 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. This is the first recorded sermon of Jesus. The first recorded sermon of Jesus. Just right out, he's starting his preaching ministry, starting his ministry, and he's starting out with this. Repent and believe in the gospel of God. Repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And when we, if, if we spent... The whole night, working through the synoptic gospels and looking, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and looking at Jesus' gospel, what Jesus preached when he used the word gospel and good news, what you're going to find is that he preached the good news of the kingdom. What is this? This is that first square here. This is the crown. The good news of the kingdom is the good news that Jesus is king. That Jesus is king. That this is good news that he is king. That someone that is all powerful, but also perfectly good, is king. See, if you have someone that is amazing, that they have perfect character, but they have no power, there's not much they can do. Right? There's not... There's not much, it's like they might be able to encourage you that this perfect character, but without, without any sort of power, there's only so much they can do to help you. Or, what if someone has unlimited power? They're in, the, they're in great positions of power, but they have awful character. Right? You don't have to look 
too long or too hard to see what happens when you have people in positions of power with low character. Right? Look at the corruption that happens in the world when that happens. The greed, the exploitation, the children that are harmed, the family. Like, history in present time all around the world for all of history is riddled with people that get put into power that have terrible character and it causes human horror. Death, exploitation, rape, murder, slavery. Like this, we just repeat this cycle, repeat this cycle. What's happened? You have people with power but evil character. The good news of Jesus, the good news that Jesus is king, is that you have one that is an absolute power, but is also perfect character. One who is literally described, First John says this, that God is love, and love is on the throne. That is good news. That is crazy good news. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this. There's this great section here where it's like, look, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, our life would be pointless, etc., etc. But then it goes to verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Fact, Christ raised from the dead. Then, go a little further, verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted who put all things in subjection under subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Read that like five times fast later just for fun. It's just like a night homework assignment. King Jesus will destroy every rule and every authority and every power. All of it. You think of every election cycle and the politicians and all their promises. We're going to do this and the economy will be booming and you'll be happy and there'll be this and this. And then they go and you're like, this was worse than it was before. They don't know. They can't do it, right? But Jesus absolutely can. And he absolutely will. And this is the good news that Jesus is king. And what I've mostly talked about so far with this good news is the cosmic impact of the kingdom of God. But there is a personal good news impact. See, there's the good news that Jesus today, right now, in this moment, you can repent and you can have Jesus as king of your life. See, the bad news is we often make kings out of a bunch of random crap. Or good things. We can take a good thing. Take a good thing like TikTok. You're like, oh, TikTok, that's a good thing, right? We just dance for five seconds and make a video for my friend. But then you get addicted to TikTok, and then all your life is on TikTok, and all you're doing is TikToking. And TikTok becomes actually king of your life. And you're like, this wasn't the plan. 
The plan was to make a couple fun videos, and now, literally, neuroscience shows, like, this TikTok has made neural pathways in my brain where, like, my life is oriented around it. I have to check it. I have to use it. I have to feed it. I have to do it. And what might have started off as a fun, good thing to share a few fun dance videos with my friends and family has now turned into a God thing. And when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. TikTok's going to make a terrible king over your life. Or maybe you start a new job. You've worked hard to get this job. You're in the job. It's a good job. It's good to work. I want you to work. If you don't have a job, I hope you can get a job and work. Work is good. Work is a gift. God created us to work. But then you start thinking all about work. And, and you notice that the culture, no one takes breaks at work. And you start thinking, what would it look like for me to work overtime at work? And then it's like, now I'm working weekends. And now you're thinking, how can I get promoted? And you get promoted. And you take on more. And pretty soon, this good thing that was this good job has now become king of your life. And you're distanced from your friends. You've left. You don't have time for God. And you don't have time for these other things. Your physical health is starting to drain. Your mental health is starting to drain because your entire life is oriented around this work, this job. And a good thing, a job, has now become a God thing, which has made it a bad thing. Job is good for your life. It's a terrible king. Or maybe you're walking down the street one day and you saw this girl and you just poof, ooh, okay. And you went over, you talked to her, she liked you, you took her to Applebee's on a date night, okay, right? Shared an Oreo shake, the whole deal, things are going good. And, and we'll just say, you know, that she loves Jesus, she's got like a nice like Bible verse tattoo on her forearm, you're like, yeah, okay, and things are going well, and you're in love, and you're following Jesus together, and just everything is great, but then pretty soon, like, all you're thinking about is her, and it's all, your whole life is about her, and then you're kind of getting clingy, and you're getting a little bit needy, and you're just getting weird, and you're distancing yourselves from your other relationships, and from your other friends, and your relatives, and from God, and pretty soon, this person that could have been a great girlfriend and maybe a good future spouse has become some sort of a king and what was a good thing, this relationship, what started off as a good thing, became a God thing in your life and now it's a bad thing. Because a significant other could be a great future spouse, it could be a great marriage, it could be a good thing, but it's going to be a terrible king. It's going to be a terrible king. And this can happen with kids. Some of you here and you're like, oh, I just can't wait till I can have kids. Did you know that one of the, and, and, and maybe some of you experienced this with your own family or, or, or close family members or friends, do you know one of the times that the divorce rate is at its very highest is the first year or two of empty nesting. Kids grow up, leave the house, and in that first year or so of them leaving the house, that's one of the highest times of divorce. Why? Because the marriage was just all about those kids, and those kids were so cute, and those kids were so wonderful, and pretty soon dad was driving them to the soccer games, and mom was driving them to the theaters and the play, and dad was helping them with the extra homework, and mom was helping them find a tutor, and they're trying to get them to college, and dad's doing this, and mom's doing this, and dad's doing them up, and then they move and leave out, and they realize that for the last 18, 25, however many kids, how many years it was, that the center of their life was these kids, that these kids were their king, that these 
kids were who they were worshiping. Now the kids have left their house. The God has left the house. They have no shared God. They haven't built a relationship with each other or with God. And they realize, yeah, kids is a good thing, but kids make a bad God and a bad king. And so the marriage absolutely crumbles because the God has left the building. And a good thing becomes a God thing, which is a bad thing. And our hearts are so prone to do this over and over. We'll do this with ourselves, right? Think, I'm, an, I'm a pretty good thing. Maybe, maybe you're a pretty good thing. Just, but you, you make a bad God for others as well. Life being centered on you, you're not built for worship. You're not built for worship. You're going to make a bad king for your own self. I could give you example and example of example of things that are bad kings. Take alcohol. Uh, uh, the Bible says that God made wine to make the hearts of men merry. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. But we've all seen, many of us have seen, I should say, what happens when alcohol becomes a king or a crutch in someone's life? When a good thing becomes a God thing, when someone can't relax without it, when someone can't have social conversations without it, someone can't sleep without it, the good thing becomes a God thing, and then it becomes a really bad thing. What are the things in your life that are trying to take the throne? What in your life is trying to take the throne? This is why Jesus' first sermon is repent. He's saying, look, look, look. You guys have so many kings. Repent. I have good news for you. You can stop following and living for these bad kings. These kings that will never satisfy because there is good news. There is a good and righteous and perfect and loving and all-powerful king. And his name is Jesus. And he loves you. And this is good news. It is good news that you don't have to try to be your own king. It is good news that TikTok isn't king. It is good news that... Drug addiction isn't king. Materialism isn't king. Amazon shopping isn't king. Your latest Netflix or Disney Plus binge isn't king. Like it's good news that those things aren't king. It's good news that gluttony doesn't have to be king. It's good news that looking perfect and posting the perfect Instagram photo doesn't have to be king. There's a better king. Now, I want to pause on good news for a moment to talk about some more bad news. The bad news, the bad news thrive, is that all of us have at one point or another devoted ourselves to false kings or declared our very own self king. Now, if you've watched any, any film with any sort of like royal king type stuff, 
You know that if someone comes into a kingdom and declares themselves to be king or declares someone other than the king to be king, that is called treason. That is called treason. And so everyone in this room is actually guilty of treason before the heavenly king. And if you watched any of those movies or read any of those books, you know what happens when you commit treason and are caught and are guilty of treason. You're dead. Right? Usually the declaration is, off with your head! Right? You're dead. You deserve death. We deserve death because we have committed treason against the heavenly king. This is very serious. Very bad news. Our addictions... Are times that we have slandered the king. We've declared war on the king. We have rebelled against the king. Even at times where we declared our allegiance to the king only to go back to these false kings. See, if the, if the unwrapping of the gift of the gospel just stopped right there, Okay, great. There's a good king. That's good news. There's this good and amazing king. That's good news. But if that's all we had, if we just stop the gospel there, we're all screwed because we've all already declared war on that good king. And if that good king is just and honorable and wants to protect his kingdom and protect his kingdom citizens, then he must put us to death. He must. For that's what we deserve. We are enemies of the king and his kingdom. But praise God, there's more to the gospel. There's the good news of the cross. The good news of the cross. And the good news of the cross is this. Come back with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 3. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That Christ died for our sins. The good news of the cross is that Jesus takes the penalty, the penalty of death that you and I deserve for declaring war on the king he takes that on himself on the cross. Thrive, don't ever, ever get tired of hearing about the cross, learning about the cross. The power of the cross, that Jesus shed his blood to make you new, to wash away your sin. The cross, all... We could spend unpacking just the impact of the cross. Would We could spend a lifetime just exploring that. It's phenomenal. But I want to give you two, uh, two theological terms that you've probably heard, but it's worth, I want to remind you of them if you know them. If you don't know them, um, I want to share them with you. First is justification. Justification. Is meaning that you are declared righteous and just before God. Not because you are righteous and just. 
Because Jesus has gifted you. We're talking about what is the gift of the gospel? What are some of these gifts that he's given you? Righteousness is one of those gifts. He has gifted you his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. You are declared righteous. Meaning, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have trusted Jesus, if you have declared your allegiance to Jesus and received the gospel, and were to die right now and stand before the white throne of judgment and stand before King Jesus, he would look at your record. And your record would not deserve to be called righteous. It would show treason. It would show sin. It would show rebellion. But he'd crumble up your record, throw it to the side, and what he would see would be Jesus' record on earth on your behalf. His righteousness given to you. And you would be declared just because Jesus is just. Is that an amazing news? That is amazing news. It's called justification. Absolutely undeserving, mind-blowing, beautiful, powerful news. Second word I want to give you is the word expiation. Um, expiation is talked about a little less in the church. <sighs> Have you ever <sighs> committed a sin, dwelt on your sin, maybe fall into the same bad addiction, the same habit, the same junk, looked at the same crap you didn't want to look at on the internet, just, just whatever it is, gone down the same path, did something you didn't want to do again, maybe drank too much again, or ate so much you felt sick, and you're just like, why do I do that? Now I feel sick, and that was just lack of self-control and gluttony. Have you, just, have you ever gone down just some of those just sinful paths and patterns, maybe binge watch, and you're just like, why did I just spend four, five, six hours watching? Like, but that was not, I don't feel edified. Now I just kind of feel, you ever get that feeling where you just kind of feel like, ugh. Expiation. So in the Old Testament sacrificial system, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, uh, they would t sacrifice two lambs. And one of the lambs, that, well actually, pause. They would sacrifice one lamb. Here's one, here's one of the things that would, they would do. Uh, they would sacrifice one lamb. And that lamb is taking the penalty for people's sin. That was the idea. Here's what you deserve. Fwah! Slaughter the lamb. Blood spills everywhere. It's gory. It's gross. Why all the blood? Because sin is gory and gross. Right? Sacrificial lamb takes that. Here's the interesting thing. They would take the other lamb and they would pray over it. And when they would pray, they would confess all the sins of the Israelite people. And they'd pray over this lamb and they'd place the sins of the people on this lamb. And then they would take that lamb and they would set it free deep out in the wilderness, never to be seen again. All the sins were put on that lamb. This is where we get the term scapegoat. This is where we get it from this, from this, we get this term from that. Scapegoat. 
What's happening with that lamb? It's taking your sins away from you. This is what expiation is. That Jesus on the cross didn't just forgive you for your sins. He washes your sins away. So they're not there lingering, making you feel guilty, making you feel crappy, making you feel icky, making you feel gross, making you feel, who am I? I'm disgusting. I am awful. Why do I keep doing this? Why have I fallen into this? No one else struggled with these things. No, Jesus, he takes the penalty for that sin. He is the sacrificial lamb, but he's also the scapegoat. And he takes those sins far away, never to return and cause you guilt again. When you receive Jesus, when you receive the good news of the gospel, when you receive the good news of the cross, your sins are washed away. The good news of expiation. Scripture talks about he takes his sin and separates him as far as the east is from the west. And that, that's just hyperbole for they're as far as they can be from you. He doesn't bring them back into you, into your face, make you feel crappy over them. No, no, no. He washes them away. This is good news. You ever feel that crappy and you just try to like take a shower just to wash it off? And you can't, you can't wash this guilt off yourself, can you? You can. Most of you here, if we're honest, we've tried. Jesus can take your sins away. He takes your sins away. That's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of expiation. Two good newses of the crown and the cross. Both a gift. I mean, what would you give when you're in that moment, when you're in that moment and you're feeling filthy and you're feeling awful and you're feeling dirty and you're feeling gross? What would you pay to have that feeling go away? Like almost anything in those moments, right? You don't have to pay anything. It's been given to you as a gift because Jesus sacrificed his life and shed his blood to make you new and to wash your sins away. That is good news. That's powerful. The power of the gospel. All right, let's press on because we have a couple more. They said, I, I, we, I easily, we could just do eight straight hours on the gospel. I don't Michael didn't say I couldn't, so maybe we just do that. He's not even here anyways, right? What's he going to do? They said you preached eight hours. You said gospel. I know. What are we going to do? Simple gospel. It's a good eight, right? Yeah, but yeah, preach Applebee's. Let's go. All right. Go with me to Ezekiel 36. I want to unpack the good news of, of the heart here. We've talked about crown, cross. Let's talk about heart. Ezekiel chapter 36 uh, Actually, if you look at verse 25, he says, I'll sprinkle clean water in you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Expiation, what we just talked about. You get cleansed from your sin. But we're going to talk about verse 26. Ezekiel 36, 
26, he says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This solid rock heart, this heart. See, what happens, you might have known that Jesus was king, but you had this old heart, and this old heart didn't care that Jesus was king. This old heart wanted to rebel. This old heart wants to follow other kings. This old heart would fall into sin, and you know what? Screw it. I'm going to sin more. I want to sin. How many of you are, are pursuing people with Jesus? And you're like, look, you're sinning. Look, your life is this. Your life is this. You're like, I don't care. I want to sin. Right? We literally have parades. They're called pride parades. Like, I am proud of my sin and rebellion. I want to sin. And this is where we were before Jesus. Our hearts just want to sin. Had, you know, the only thing we didn't like is sometimes we don't like the consequences of sin. But if we could get away with it and get whatever we want, whenever we want, we would. If we were honest, before we met Jesus, before we received the gospel, hey, can I be king of the world? Can I just be king of my life? Can everyone just worship me? Can it be all about me? Yes, great. Let's do that. Let's do that. And then it's destroying our life. And so we're kind of like, well, this kind of is destroying my life, but I think I still want to do it. That's the old heart. That's the heart of stone. That heart in itself, it, it can't follow God. It won't. It doesn't want to. And God's not going to make you do anything you don't want. It, it, he will, Romans 1 talks about, he will literally just churn you over. This is his passive wrath. His passive wrath is that he warns you, he draws you, he says, hey, don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. And that's his, that's his loving warning. And you know, I want to touch the stove. I want to touch the stove. I want to touch the stove. In God's passive wrath, he then withdraws his voice and is like, okay, touch the stove. And that's part of his passive wrath. And your old heart would just be stuck in the passive wrath of God, which is where you're doing what you want to do and not what would be best that God would have for you. And you're slowly destroying your life. And that's what your old heart would do. But then, the good news of the king, you find out that to the cross and Jesus dies to forgive you, dies to cleanse you, but then he doesn't stay dead. Three days later, Jesus rises from the grave. He resurrects and he sends the Holy Spirit by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit puts a new spirit within you and gives you a new heart. And all of a sudden, the things that you once hated, you now are interested in. And the things you were most obsessed with, you now don't like our hate are trying to grow past our move past see the cross is the good news you've been freed from the penalty of sin the heart is the good news that you are now having power over sin that you never had power over before the theological term for that is sanctification you're being sanctified. You're being made more like Christ. Because when you are walking in the Spirit, when you're walking in the Spirit, here's the good news of the Holy Spirit. And oh, that's a lot to unpack there. But the good news of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit within you, giving a new heart, giving you a new desires. When you walk with the Spirit and when you are living into this heart, do you know how many times the Holy Spirit has rebelled against King Jesus in all of eternity? I'll give you a hint, as much as the audio guy's getting paid. Zero. Zero. 
The Holy Spirit has sinned zero times. Zero times has rebelled against King Jesus. Zero times has blasphemed the Father. Zero times has fallen into temptation. And so what happens is we get tempted and we're like, I've fallen into sin and temptation a bunch of times. I've rebelled a bunch of times. And by our own power, we would just keep doing that. But as we learn to walk in the Spirit, and because of the good news that we get a new heart, we lean into the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, that's easy for us to say no to. It's easy for us to walk in it. I've literally been doing it for all of eternity. And now I'm going to empower you to do it with me. Good news. Aren't you glad you don't have to obey Jesus with your old heart? Now you get a new heart with a new spirit. And this new heart and this new spirit. See, the old heart and old spirit hated that Jesus was king and hated trying to live and obey him. The new heart with the new spirit understands that it's good news that Jesus is king and it wants to live in God's kingdom, wants to live in his gracious ways, wants to advance his kingdom, wants to obey this king because it knows this king has my best in mind. And now when this king says, don't touch the stove, the person with the new heart says, thank you, Jesus, for that warning. Had you not spoken to me, I would have touched the stove. I would have burnt myself again. But you are such a gracious king, and I want to walk in your ways. We get a new heart. Such good news. Infinity. Last one. Last one. Let's go to a famous verse, John 3.16. Yeah. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal Life. Eternal life. The good news of infinity is the good news that Jesus isn't just going to be king for like four years and then he's up for re-election. He is an infinite and eternal king. It's the good news that this work of the cross doesn't have an expiration date. The work of the cross isn't like a jug of milk. It's like, oh, this is good now, but uh-oh, it's getting clumpy. The work of the cross is eternal and infinite. It's eternal and infinite. The good news of the work of the cross is there's not... All right, you know, the first 15 people in your generation to receive this get it. No, no. Whosoever. Whosoever. He's anyone, your generation, generations past, generations forward. They believe in the work of the cross. They receive this gift. It is infinite. It is infinite, eternal work. The good news that this new heart that loves Jesus will get to love and be with Jesus for all of eternity. Get to be with the one that you love for all of eternity. You get this new heart for all of eternity. 
other good news of this eternal life. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. I should have made you guess. Where do you think we're going now? 1 Corinthians 15. This is interesting here. First Corinthians 15.35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. And I think Paul's being a little, I'm an, I'm a, I think Paul's being a little harsh there, because I think this is a great question. <laughs> right? Someone else, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? You foolish person. And I'm like, hey, no dumb questions, Paul. <laughs> like, I'm, I really would be kind of curious about this one. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God, but, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown these bodies we got right now, these earthly bodies, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Amen, right? I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Okay, so now he's admitting it's a mystery. Earlier you called us foolish for asking the question, Paul. Now you're saying, all right, I'm going to tell you a mystery. I think he's being, I think he's realizes earlier. He's like, okay, I guess it is a mystery, guys. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where? is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You will be given a heavenly, eternal, glorified body. And it won't last about 20 to 25 years, and then you start getting achy and spending all your money at the chiropractor. It will be eternal. No pain, no aches, 
no sorrow, no bad acne days, just a heavenly, eternal, glorified body. No headgear from the orthodontist, just heavenly, eternal, no arthritis. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. A heavenly, glorified body. You will be glorified with Christ. We talked about the justification at the cross. We talked about sanctification at the heart. And the infinity symbol reminds us of our glorification. We have been justified by Christ, freed from the penalty of sin. We have been sanctified, are being sanctified. We are being freed by the power of the sin as we follow and learn to obey Jesus with our new hearts. And one day we will be glorified with Christ, free from the very presence of sin and its effects forever and ever and ever. Penalty, power, presence. Simple gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the gospel. Help us to be men and women who never get over this message. Oh Lord, that we would be more obsessed with this message that we'd be more obsessed with enjoying the gospel. Lord, I think if we meditated on these truths, we'd be, the, we'd be the people most filled with joy, most filled with peace. We would be a people of great, great hope. We have every reason to hope because of the gospel. We have every reason to have gratitude because of the gospel. Jesus, thank you so much for the gospel. Jesus, forgive us when we forget the gospel day in and day out. Forgive us when we fall into despair, forgetting what we have been given. Forget, forgive us for when we stray to these false kings and false gospels. Lord, let us be a people who live simply for your simple gospel. And let us be a people that proclaim and share your gospel. Lord, if there's anyone here that hasn't received this free gift, I pray that tonight they would receive it. That the right time to repent, the right time to receive the gospel, the right time to embrace this gift, the right time to live for King Jesus and know King Jesus, the right time to have your sins forgiven and washed away, fully cleansed, made fully new, the right time to trust in these promises is always now. This is not a gift worth putting off. Lord, help us be a people that live the gospel, embrace the gospel, take joy in the gospel, and share and spread the gospel. This is good news. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.